Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe this is my 883rd opportunity to preach to this great congregation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I will not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who have passed away. Don't be sorrowful as those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, or that means to arrive ahead of them. We shall not arrive ahead of them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, read it with me, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Continue on. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he closed it out by saying, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, just briefly from Exodus chapter 13. I believe this is the typing shadow, the passage that we just read from the New Testament. This is the type and shadow, the precursor in the Old Testament, Exodus 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, 17. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the children of Israel go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. The children of Israel went up harnessed, that means with a company of soldiers that were equipped for war, out of the land of Egypt. Now notice verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Would you say that with me? And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had straightly sworn or strongly promised the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. And I want you to carry my bones with you wherever you go. And so they took their journey and camped at the edge of the wilderness. We've been celebrating our values, our core values, these last three or four weeks in the month of March leading up to this great historic culminating Sunday. The passion of life, the product of life, the provision of life, Today, with the resurrection in mind, we speak on the subject of the power of life. And all those that are going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time while I'm preaching, maybe see it. I had to get that in one more time. Four weeks in the month of March leading up to this great historic culminating Sunday. The passion of life, the product of life, the provision of life. Today, with the resurrection in mind, we speak on the subject of the power of life. 
And all those that are going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time while I'm preaching. Maybe it's easy. Amen. I had to get that in one more time. I want to read my paraphrase of Exodus 13. This is Gleasonology. It came to pass when Life Tabernacle was released from New Hope Bible Church. That God did not lead them straight to the new property. Life Tabernacle went up equipped like an army out of their old worship facility. And they took with them the legacy of their deceased elders. For their elders had strongly admonished them, saying, God will surely visit you and take our ancient landmarks with you when you leave this place. And they took their journey from 7020 South Richmond to the edge of the wilderness and temporarily camped at 8118 East Gregory Boulevard on their way to the View High Drive promised land. March 31st. 2002 is a momentous day in the history of this congregation. This marks our last worship service, and yes, I say, at these Hollywood grounds. We have gathered from the four corners of the Kansas City Metroplex to give honor to our precious past, to celebrate our exciting present, and to anticipate our promising future. I can't think of a better occasion to celebrate our last service in this house than on Easter Sunday. Because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every day, but we especially commemorate it here today. And I want to say it again. He is risen. In a world of trouble, Jesus is alive. With panic and chaos in the Middle East, I don't know what people do without Jesus in their life, and I've been thanking God from the first minute of this service. God, I thank you in a world full of trouble that I've got my hand in the hand of a man from Calvary. Hallelujah. I've got my hand in the hand of the God who holds the world in his hand. Jesus didn't buy a tomb because he only needed it for the weekend. And we're leaving here today and we're moving to a temporary house of worship just two blocks from here that we're not going to buy because in the grand scheme of things we're going to need it just for a little while. And I'm glad that I can say that I was here in this place for our last official worship service. I'm here to praise my great God and Savior one last time in this place. I'm here to celebrate the greatest event of all human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection that we celebrate today has had more impact in the world and on the world than any other event of human history. The resurrection has impacted the world more than the discovery of the Americas. It has had more impact in human lives than the wonderful discovery of penicillin and all of its healing wonders. The resurrection has changed history more radically than the invention of the automobile or the computer or the jet engine. The resurrection of Jesus is the most miraculous, cataclysmic event of all human history. And if Jesus did not come out of his grave under his own power, then my friend, we're wasting our time here today. But if he did come out of that grave on his own power, then we've got to face the event of the resurrection. If he did in fact come out when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
And if he in fact did come out, and we know that he did, because there were over 500 who said that they saw the one whose hands and feet were pierced. And they were eyewitnesses to his account. If he did come out of the grave, then that means that he is alive today. And my friend, I can't dismiss that. I can't erase that out of my mind. I can't pass him off as just another historical figure that walked across the pages of written human history. I've got to make him my Lord. I've got to make him my God. I've got to do something with the resurrection. And with Thomas, I say, my Lord and my God. That's what this thing is all about. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The gospel. Touch somebody and say, the gospel. It is the good news. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I appreciate our youth pastor and the young people standing up and declaring to the adult population of this congregation, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is no other gospel save that his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we die out in the likeness of his death through repentance. Does anybody still believe in repenting of your sins? I believe in good old-fashioned conviction. Hallelujah. I believe he that cometh to God, amen, must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And the only way we can seek God is to turn from our wicked ways and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. We identify with his burial through the waters of baptism. Paul said we are buried with him by baptism into death. And we identify with his resurrection through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is initially evidenced by the outward sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. I'm not ashamed of that message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. I'm thankful for a gospel that'll work. I'm thankful for a message that will save. It saved my soul. It picked me out of a miry clay. It set my feet on a rock to save. It put me headed in the right direction. I thank God for the Holy Ghost and fire that he filled me with many, many years ago. Some of us here today have called this building our church home for all of its 25-some years of existence. Others have called it home for just a few years, some just a few months. And there are some here today who call this their home church just for the last few days. Whoever you are, However long you worship God in this house, I hope that you can say, whenever I walk through those doors, I always gave it my best. I hope that we can say that whenever we came into this place, we always gave it all in this house. You know what? I hope we can say that, but I don't think we could. I know I can't. We can always do more. We can always give more. We can always praise Him more. You know, we don't worship Him enough. We don't thank Him enough for what He did for us in Calvary. We don't cry enough. We don't shout enough. We don't rejoice enough. These last few days in this building have been somewhat emotional for me. I don't mind telling you I'm a man, but I'm an emotional man. I have to admit that I'm somewhat sentimental. And I've had a lot of experiences here. I've had many, many God encounters all over this sanctuary and all over this building. 
I still remember the first time I walked in this sanctuary. It was right through that door behind James Sims, right over there. It was June 24th, 1988. Someone was cleaning the church. The lights from the vestibule were bleeding into the dark sanctuary. I opened the door. I could see the outline and the shadow of the pews. I remember the Lord spoke to my heart and he reminded me something that had been prophesied into my spirit four months earlier. Matter of fact, it was the same service and the same night that God gave me the chorus that the Albion Church sang to, to me. It was just for me. And Jesus, you're everything to me, the chorus we just sang. And it was that night as I was laying prostrate before the Lord that Brother David Trammell, the pastor, leaned down, got on his knees and whispered in my ear, he prophesied to me, he said, the Lord is going to set your feet in a large room. And four months later, I walked into that door, and it was as if the Lord spoke to me and said, my son, this is that large room. Over the last 14 years, I've had thousands of prayer meetings, thousands in this room. And you have too. In this place, when I have dropped tears on virtually every pew, Speaking for myself, I've preached my way out of more trouble than a country western song with five verses. <laughs> There's many times I walked to this pulpit and didn't feel a whole lot of anointing, but somehow found a vein in the place where God was moving and preached my way out of something and preached my way into something. Hallelujah. Somebody was praying for me. I've been preached out of a lot of trouble, and I preached myself out of a lot of trouble and preached myself into places in God that can only come when the anointing of God comes upon you. You're preaching the living, written Word of God as it is made manifest in our hearts. It is in these baptismal waters that I was privileged to baptize my two oldest children, Justin and Marissa. My youngest daughter, Michaela, received the Holy Ghost right over there after her great-uncle, Cleveland Beckton, preached this last August. I would like to think that I know almost every square inch of this place. I know there's been many rainy days I've sit out in a lot of pots and pans until we got up there one more time and coated the roof. I've come over here on many, many, many cold midnights and turned on the faucet so the pipes wouldn't freeze and got down to zero. I was even chased by a man-eating squirrel in this place. <laughs> I shouted. I danced. But I can honestly say that I leave this holy place today by the grace of God with thanksgiving in my heart and no regrets. I said I have no regrets. I think I've said about all I need to say from this pulpit. I think I've prayed. You and I have prayed. We've wept. We've loved. We've given. We've spent. We've sacrificed. I've been the first one to here and the last one to leave for 14 years. We've challenged. We've served. We've invested in people. I hope that you can say with me that maybe you had your good days and you had your bad days, but your heart was always in the right place and you always wanted to do your best. I think the first order of business as we leave this house today, we have one more chance to right any wrongs. We have one more chance to give what we've held back. We have one more chance to give honor to our great God if we've not given honor to Him. We have one more chance before we leave this place to pay our debts, to right our wrongs, to ask and give forgiveness, 
to leave nothing sitting unnegotiated on the table. We have one chance to leave this place holding back no worship, not holding back any praise, not holding back any song, not holding back any word, not having to face and deal with any issues. You know, I just sense that in this house here today that there is one more burst of praise. There is one more burst of thanksgiving. There is one more burst of gratefulness unto our great God. I want you to think about all the times He blessed you here. I want to think. I want you to think about the times you came forward for prayer and God met you and He healed you and He touched your body. I want to. I want you to think about the times maybe you put your last five dollars in the plate and you didn't know where your groceries had come from, but the check came in the mail. Somebody gave you one of the, those holy handshakes. With a wrinkled green back in it. Praise God. I want you to think about that time that you came in here broken and wounded and suffering. And the church began to worship the Lord and the ministering spirit and the oil and wine of the Holy Ghost began to flow into your heart. I think there ought to be one more burst of praise and thanksgiving. We need to go out of this house in a praise of glory. We need to leave this house with one more shout of victory. We need to leave this place with one more utterance of thanksgiving to our God because there is no Moses said, 
We're not leaving without it. He spoke to the children of Israel that day and he said, we are not leaving this place without the bones of Joseph. Maybe somebody said, bones? I'm carrying my kids. I'm trying to make it as best I can. You're going to ask me to drag around some old man's bones that I never met? Never shook his hand, don't know anything about him. Moses, you're, you're asking us to carry a lot of extra dead weight. <laughs> Why were Joseph's bones placed on Moses' short list to take on the journey? It's very simple. Moses was making good on a sacred vow that was made between Joseph and and his descendants, that after he died, and when they were ready to go to that holy place, the promised land, that they would not leave his bones behind. Egypt was a good place while it lasted, but Joseph knew that one day God's people would be moving out, and they would be changing addresses, and they would be going to a much better place. Joseph understood that one day they would be moving into their promised land and he wanted to vicariously with the exhumation and extraction of his bones that he would be taken with them and Moses had a desire to take Joseph's bones with them as a legacy of his memory to travel with them and to accompany them to a more wonderful place. You see, Joseph was the one that God had used in 430, 430 years before to preserve his covenant with Abraham during the years of worldwide famine. Through Joseph's sacrifice, submission, suffering, and betrayal and faithfulness, God not only preserved his people, but the Egyptians honored also the memory of Joseph and blessed his descendants for many generations to follow these historic facts were of themselves significant enough to merit the cumbersome, laborious task of hauling this dead man's bones around with them. But there was a little bit more to it than just that. Not only did taking, the taking of Joseph's bones have historic significance to the people of God, but they also carried with them great prophetic significance. Because Joseph is one of the most perfect types of Christ in the Old Testament. There are numerous parallels and events that inseparably link the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph together. I believe it's Joseph, the only man in the scripture, that rarely if ever you can find one negative thing about him. His record, as honest as the Bible is, is the closest thing to spotless other than Jesus himself that we can find. And yet their lives were lived some 2,000 years apart. Consider with me. Jesus and Joseph were both betrayed by their own brother. They both were sold for the price of a common slave. They both were falsely accused of acts that they did not commit. They both suffered varying degrees of separation from their father. They each had their garments stripped from them and their true identities would be revealed many years later to their brethren. And on and on the typology goes. So the taking of Joseph's bones with them from Egypt to Canaan bore more significance than just the events of that day. By taking Joseph's bones, 
Moses was saved. As I say to you today, I realize that I am where I am today because somebody else blazed a trail. I am what I am today because somebody else sacrificed and paid an incredible price. By taking Joseph's bones, Moses was saying, we are taking with us the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. By taking Joseph's bones, they were saying, we're taking with us the most cherished truth in all of the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We are taking with us, when we take Joseph's bones, the covenant of the circumcision that God gave to our father Abraham. It is the blood covenant. It is the separation covenant. It is the righteous seed covenant. And we're taking them bones, them bones, them bones. We're taking them bones with us. The carrying of those bones was more than ritual or formality. But it was a sacred and symbolic act of giving honor and respect to the past. Thanksgiving to God for his miraculous foresight and provision during worldwide famine. And a commitment to being faithful to the word of God and to the traditions and landmarks that had been established by faithful patriarchs in the preceding generations. The exhuming of Joseph's poems by Moses was also a prophetic act which prophesied the bones of Christ that would not be left in their grave, but that they also would be taken out of their burial place. And in the case of Christ, not after 430 years, but after only three days, that it might be fulfilled in the scriptures. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. The taking away of Joseph's bones and the resurrection of Christ's body and bones also speak prophetically of the bones of the dead in Christ that sleep now, many of whose names have been mentioned and even thought of in our minds today, awaiting the resurrection at the last trump, when the bones of the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, when we walk out of this place, hallelujah, we're taking some bones with us. We're not going to be anything that we haven't been in the past. There is some respect and honor for the past that we're going to take with us into the future. And I feel quickened in the Holy Ghost right now to tell somebody that we may not have another Easter to gather together as a congregation. I want to say something to any of our guests here today. We may not be around for one more Easter because Jesus is coming soon. And there's trouble all over the world. And the Jews and the Arabs are fighting over that place. And it's not going to be long. The Antichrist is going to sit in that temple claiming that he is God. But I'm glad that I can tell you trouble 
their toil, and their tears. We're going to take with us the bones of our apostolic heritage. Listen to me, Life Tabernacle. If you think going to a new church is going to change and give us a new doctrine, you better change churches right now. We're not moving from the apostolic doctrine. We're not moving from the apostolic doctrine now. Not at any cost. Not at any cost are we moving from our apostolic heritage. We're taking with us our bones of our apostolic worship. taking with us the bones of our apostolic lifestyle. There's some things that we cannot leave behind. The location of the church may change, but the life of and in the church will never change. The address of the church may change, but the address of revival will never change. We're never going to relocate from Acts 238 Gospel Way. We're going to stay walking on that street called straight. And we're going to keep traveling at high speed, that highway of holiness. Hallelujah. It's the highway that's going to take us to heaven. And none can walk up there but the pure in heart. The name on the church may change, but the name on our salvation will never change. Neither is there salvation in any other brother naked. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The size of this church may change, but the size of our commitment to the truth will never change. The square footage of the new church may change, but the solid foundation of the church that we're planted on will never change. The ministries and methods of the church may change, but the mission and the message that we preach will never change. Oh, I feel like dragging some bones with me. Sometimes we may think they get in the way. Sometimes we think that if we just leave these bones behind, that we can travel a lot faster. Listen, honey, we're going to head for the right finish line. We're not racing to a false finish line. I want to make sure when I'm grunting for the end zone, when I'm reaching and straining for the tightrope, when I get there to break that tape, hallelujah, I want to make sure that I see Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm pressing toward the mark. He is the prize of the high calling. I'm not done preaching, but we're going to dim the lights right now, just like we do when we have our altar service. I'll be wrapping up here in a few minutes, but not before I drag some bones. Three is the number of resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the dead on the third day. There were three things that the children of Israel placed inside the Ark of the Covenant as they journeyed from Egypt to Canaan. I don't ever want you to forget this service. As long as I live, I want to look back to this day and remember it. They put in that ark the Ten Commandments. The Word of God. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word. They put in that ark of the covenant Aaron's rod that budded, which is a type of the resurrection of Christ and the miracles of God. And thirdly, they put in there the pot of manna, which was their bread. Jesus said, I am the living bread. That pot of manna represented the provisions of God. So they took the power of God, the promise of God, the provisions of God. Most of you, if you have great powers of observation, noticed the U-Haul truck as you came in. We're going to let that U-Haul truck represent 
our Ark of the Covenant. As we leave this holy place, we're going to place some representative items into that truck that are precious to the members of this church. Items that represent who we are, what we believe, what we've done, what we do, and what we're going to do until Jesus comes. First of all, representing our apostolic worship. We're going to take, when we leave here today, the old base middle that used to be plucked down at 40th and Harrison. I don't know if there's anybody here that knows how to play it, but it doesn't matter. This represents our apostolic worship. Listen, folks, we can never leave the apostolic worship that many of us were born in. Hallelujah. Somebody worship God so that you can get the Holy Ghost. Somebody worship God so that you can have an atmosphere where you can praise God. We're never going to get to that place where we're just going to dry up and be, forgive me, like phenomenal churches. Amen. We're never going to get to the place we're going to leave that hand slapping foot. Stop it. You know, about 50 years ago, a smug religious author named Dr. Snyder wrote in a review. He said, you know, these Pentecostals are phenomenal. You can just sit it down and stand around and just, just sit it down. But facing us and just stay there right there by. He said, you know, these Pentecostals are a phenomenon for now. Now, keep in mind, this was in the 50s. He said, they're the fastest growing religious movement in the world today. But he said there's coming a day when the fiery enthusiasm of their impoverished fathers will be replaced by the sedate and fashionable religion of their grandchildren. And then accommodation to the world will be fairly complete. But as for now, he said this is probably the finest hour for the Pentecostals. I got news for Dr. Snyder. It's 50 years later, and we're still shouting our hair down. It's 50 years later, and we still weep in the presence of God. It's 50 years later, and every once in a while, we just feel like standing up and throwing our hands out and praising God. Do you still have a fire? Do you still have a seal? Do you still have to lift your hands in the sanctuary? so-and-so doing the Kahiti Comanche. I bring a few of my friends uh, if I didn't think that brother so-and-so wasn't going to get up and run around the church. Listen, friend, we're going to a $3 million building, but we're going to break that place in. We're going to break it in. Hallelujah. We're going to worship God until the fire falls in that place. Say, Pastor, you're trying to incite a riot? That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Something else we're going to take with us. We're going to take the communion table. The communion table represents fellowship. I want those four people to go back there right now, please, and hoist that communion table up on your shoulders like the Ark of the Covenant. Come on, man, put it up on your shoulders. Put it up on your shoulders. We're going to take our fellowship. We're going to take daily fellowship.
fellowship with Jesus Christ. Does anybody still have a personal prayer life every day? Come on and bring it on up, man. We're going to take the bones, amen, of fellowship and daily prayer with Jesus Christ. Amen. When this church stops praying, we're going to start dying. We've got to get a hold of God every day because we will not be any greater as a church than the individual prayer life and the individual spiritual dynamic and the anointing that's on us as individuals. Just sitting right down here and then two of you on either side of it like the cherubims that were on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. Listen, we believe in home fellowship because it's the way the New Testament did church and we believe in the body of Christ that ought to get together on a weekly basis and love one another and share and buy in and bear one another's burdens. Can we believe in systematic, congregational, team, and individual prayer? Prayer can go in anywhere that God can go, and God can go anywhere. Thirdly, we're going to take with us the bones of our doctrine. You know what? New Hope Bible Church doesn't want our pulpit, but I want it. We're taking it with us. Hallelujah. Here comes the pulpit. It represents the word of God. I told you I'm preaching my 883rd message from behind the pulpit. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, I want to get that pulpit right up here in its rightful place. I want to get it right here where it belongs. Amen. Praise God. i got to finish my message behind this pulpit. See, they don't want it, and that doesn't make me feel bad because I'm glad I get to take it. I was going to arm wrestle them for it, and I was going to figure out a way to take this. Listen, friend, you couldn't pay a preacher enough. Thank God for a preacher that God sent into my life. Amen. We've got to keep that pulpit open. We've got to keep it unfettered. Whether I'm preaching or one of these men are preaching or the evangelist is preaching or God calls me home and sends you another pastor, don't ever bind the pulpit. Don't ever try to stifle the pulpit. We've got to have apostolic doctrine. We've got to have a man of God that can walk into your life and say, Thus saith the Lord. You're not going to walk in the valley. You've got to be saved through the foolishness of preaching. Oh, hallelujah. We can shout for a choir, but how many is willing to shout for a preacher? crosses to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God oh I wouldn't rather be any other place than at a conference somewhere on the front row when an anointed man takes an anointed text and preaches the word of God into my heart yes it's preaching that builds churches, not music. It's preaching that changes lives. Amen. Not programs. It's preaching and teaching. And we're taking the bones of apostolic preaching with us. We're taking them. We're taking them. We're taking them. I knelt down at my father, my father's knee just a few months before he died. I looked at his sunken eyes back into his head as cancer was sucking away life out of his body my apostolic daddy and I promised him that I would always be a one God apostolic talk talking holy Roman preacher I've been dragging those bones for five years as of last week I'm not going to stop dragging them I've got to be true to the message I've got to be true to the gospel I can't compromise it I can't water it down don't ever put any pressure on me to do it I don't care if God sends us the Lord 
finally, please be seated. We've got one more item of bones, but it represents a world that's lost. Brother, I want you to carry it like the Ark of the Covenant. We're building for world impact. Would you raise the screen? We're building for world impact. Did we have the screen up when we took our picture? Thank God. This is what we want to do. You say, well, you're just a little congregation of 250 or 300 people. How are you going to impact the world? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. We're going to do it through giving. And we're going to do it through prayer. And we're not going to sacrifice our giving the missions to build the new facility. We're never going to do it. We're never going to do it. We'll be slitting our throats, friend. God, God will shut our water off the day that we stop giving the missions so that we can build a building. We will build a building because we give the missions and because we love the kingdom of God. We're building, hallelujah, India. Brother C.P. Thomas is going to be with us sometime in May. We've got missionaries planted all over the world. This church sponsors approximately 100 missionaries or so all over the world. We don't give every dollar that we give even through through the proper United Pentecostal Church channels because we are interested in touching people and ministering to lives. This is the vision of the church. We're not building just for the church that we are, but we're building for the church that we want to become. There is a church right here somewhere in the heart of America that wants to reach out and touch the seven continents of the world. We are going to train the bones of world missions with us. We're going to train the bones with us. And we're going to reach a lost and dying world with us. It is not negotiable. We will not compromise it. We're taking it with us. Praise the Lord. Would you all stand with me? This is the hard part because I really don't know what to do right now because there are so many of us here today. But I would like to see some type of signal of commitment from every member of this church who's here today. Say, Pastor, we're with you. We're going to drag those bombs and we leave this house. And the last thing that we're going to do as we leave this building today, we're going to take the Word of God, we're going to take our lifestyle, we're going to take our worship, and we're going to take our mission, and we're going to carry it to our Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to seal the way, and we're going to take it with us. I would like to see a signal of commitment from this congregation. Those of you that believe in the unadulterated priest gospel of Jesus Christ, you want to take the bones of apostolic doctrine that may be hard to carry around and hard to bear from time to time, but you realize that we're not going to be saved without it. If you're thankful for the word of God, I want you to lift your hands in the presence of God and thank God for his word right now. Let's thank God for his word. Let's thank God for his word. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. It is a two-edged sword, dividing asunder even soul and spirit, and separates the joints from the heart. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, we commit ourselves to taking the bones of the apostolic doctrine and the apostolic message. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Lord, we will not compromise. We will not build on another foundation. We are taking with us the holy word of God. I want you to just keep your hands lifted in the presence of God as the pastors take the word of God. I want the men to take the pulpit that brought it up here. Come on, take it. Just keep your hands lifted. This is what Israel did when the Ark of the Covenant went through their midst. They lifted their hands. Just take it on out of here. Just take it right to the truck. Ushers, open the doors for them as they go through. This is not some formality here, my friend. This is a holy moment. This is a holy place. We're taking the Word of God with us. We're taking the pulls. 
with our founding pastor, Winter Black Preacher. We're going to be faithful to the gospel. Let come and see Puffy Preacher. We're going to be faithful to the gospel. Let Robert Gilstrap preach. We're going to preach it. We're going to preach it. We're going to preach it. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.